Welcome to the Let's Talk CJ podcast. I am your host, Dr. Pat Nelson, a member of the Department of Criminal Justice at Minnesota State University, Mankato. Thank you for joining us as we explore different topics about criminal justice and also profile current and retired professionals from the criminal justice system. We hope you learn some new things about these topics and amazing people, so please enjoy. Welcome to the Let's Talk CJ podcast. Today I'm joined by Jessica McLaughlin, who is currently the Director of Criminal Justice Field Education at Minnesota State University, Mankato. Jessica also was a part of the Blue Earth County Human Services as a Child Protection Specialist from 2001 to 2006. And from 2006 to 2016, she served as a Children's Mental Health Case Manager. She earned her master's in sociology from MSU and also teaches in the area of juvenile delinquency and mental health. So thank you for joining me today, Jessica. Thanks, Pat. So how did you get into child protection? Why did you get into that field? Um, you know, it's as most of my stories are, it's a little bit of a twist and turny kind of um, route. I came back um, to school a little bit later in life. I was a non-traditional student completing my undergrad degree, um, and then started my master's degree right away. And while I was working on my master's degree, I was commuting back and forth from Minneapolis doing some work there. Um, Before kind of coming back and finishing out my degrees, I worked a lot with children. I worked in daycares, ran daycares. Um, I nannied. It's kind of the, I worked um, with for specifically with some immigrant groups and refugee groups up in North Dakota and stuff. And that was kind of always where I had my interest, I guess. Um, and then even through graduate school worked here at some, with some daycare places, some school programming things. Um, and so to be honest with you, the job, um, posting came up and it said work with child and family services is what the unit was called. And my dad saw it and said, Hey, he, of course, being a father, didn't want me commuting back and forth to the cities every day. Um, he said, you should look at this job. It's a, you know, working with child and family services and it was child protection. Um, and I don't want to say I didn't know what that was, but, um, I don't think I ever sought out. Um, I don't think that was ever like my goal to end up in child protection, but the job, um, you know, talked about keeping families together, keeping families strong, um, keeping children safe. And, and it was really very focused on the family. And so I applied for it. Um, actually truly not thinking I was going to get it. Um, kind of bombed the first interview. Um, and then I got it. Um, and I found out, and I, I hope that my old supervisor doesn't listen to this podcast because I found out many, many years later that she didn't want to hire me, but the other two people on my team wanted to hire me. So they like petitioned above her, um, to have me come and be the, the ongoing case manager and ongoing case manager means that I didn't uh, do any assessments. So once a file, I guess, or a family, landed in my lap or on my desk for my to to be responsible for they had already there had already been somebody who determined that there was a need for services so I didn't make those initial convert or those initial um, decisions I didn't decide if someone was abused harmed neglected or was at risk of being abused harmed or neglected somebody else did all of that and then my job was kind of to get the family together the community together um, and try to get that family back on track to preserve that child's um, safety and well-being. Well-being is kind of the big catchphrase. So um, I got the job and um, I started it and I, and I really, really, really liked it. Um, child protection has relatively low 
um, case management numbers because it's a pretty intense um, service delivery. You work with people who the children are either at risk of being hurt or maltreated or neglected, or they have been maltreated, hurt, or neglected. Um, and so it's a very involved um, with a lot of case planning. It's a ton of paperwork. Um, it's a lot of referrals. It's a lot of cheerleading. And quite honestly, it was a lot of collaboration. I think that was the part of the, the job that was the, I don't want to say the most fun, but the most rewarding maybe was to see people kind of pull together um, as a community, you know, if a kid's in school or if a kid's getting, you know, therapy services or they're on probation or something, kind of everybody kind of coming together to try to keep that child and that family on track. So, so it was a lot. you collaborate with Jessica? Like, I, I know you just mentioned the school, but say, say a family needed services. So who would you end up collaborating with in the community? Yep. Um, we collaborate, collaborated with a lot of um, nonprofit places. Um, Minnesota Valley Action Council, um, Vine Faith in Action. Um, we collaborated, or I collaborated in that role with probation. Um, oftentimes, either the child or the parents or both were on probation. Um, therapy providers, service providers, um, a lot of actually um, kind of what we would call pro-social organizations, getting kids signed up for camp or getting kids signed up for soccer or something that they can kind of be good at and successful with. Also with other service providers, um, whether that be domestic violence resources, um, therapy resources, rehabilitation resources, treatment resources, foster parents. It was really, it's really a large wheel. Did you ever have to collaborate with either peace officers or sheriff's deputies or like county attorneys on the other side? Absolutely. All the time. I should have, they should have been probably my one, two and three numbers. Um, <laughs> we didn't have as much with the sheriff's department just because of how my caseload kind of um, landed. But yes, we collaborated a great deal with the county attorney's office. They um, represented us in court when court was um involved. Not every case had court involvement. Um, again, that decision came before me or co I collaborated to, to move it into court. Um, but yeah, there was a tremendous amount of collaboration, particularly with the county attorney's office. We certainly had, um, we certainly had a lot of um, interaction with police, um, a lot of interaction with the school, um, school resource officers, um, a tremendous amount of, and they were very helpful to us on many, many occasions. Cause a lot of times they had a relationship with the student or the child that I wasn't going to have cause I was a stranger. Um, and so we would use them because they maybe had a previous relationship or, um, you know, attachment with that child. But yeah, we worked a lot with law enforcement, which always, we weren't always on the same page of the same side of the page, I guess. <laughs> so when you were working, like, say, with the county attorney, because there are some counties that have a general criminal court and then a family court. Does Blue Earth County have a family court as well? We had juvenile court. We, I don't know if they call it court as much as they have um, there. It's like juvenile county attorneys. So okay. they, have a, they have county attorneys who do only adults. And the county attorneys who do only juveniles and juveniles that would include um, children in need of protection or supervision. I believe it also included um, things that would be civil court, like um, divorces, custody arrangement, that kind of stuff. Um, at the time, we dealt with um, 
juvenile criminal cases had the same county attorney representation as did children who were in this. So whether they were a victim or whether they were there because of their own needs, they had the same county attorneys. And that was a big push um, from the Children's Justice Initiative was to keep the judge consistent in all of the cases so that the judge would get to know the family and the um, county attorneys weren't having to ask the same questions over and over and over. So as an ongoing case manager, about how long would you be with the family? Like a length of time? I mean, I'm sure it varied, but like in a ballpark, how long would you spend time with the families? It varied tremendously, honestly. Um, there were people that I worked with for a very short period of time. Um, because the cases are so um, diverse and the the, pro- the problems or the, the challenges that the families have can be so variable. Um, you know, sometimes it was, a, you know, you would just get a case and then find a maybe a grandma or a grandpa who could be a support person. And that would be the, you know, the case would be closed or the child would move to another part of the state or the country or whatever. Other times um, it seemed like a really long time. If a child's not out of the home um, in foster care, there really is no state um, sanctioned certain end date. If a child's out of the home, there's some more timelines that go along with that. But -hmm. if a child is with their parents, um, it can be a very long relationship. So you kind of mentioned if they moved, how long, how many times would you collaborate with uh, other people in your position in different counties or different states? Was there kind of a system to hand off the kids or did you just kind of hope for the best? Um, no, we usually followed them. Um, there was also some courtesy case management. Um, and if children were placed out of the home, whether it was for their own mental health or behavioral health or because of safety in the home, they wouldn't always be tucked in here nice and neat into Blue Earth County. They might be, um, you know, in South Dakota, they might be in North Dakota, they might be just in the metro or something. So those cases, if it was an out-of-home placement, we continued to follow. If a child was actually moving residences, there was a period of time, kind of a transition time when that case manager would pick up that case. But um we know we collaborated and a lot actually because Minnesota Mankato's on the county line. <laughs> so right. there was a little bit of just back and forth with Nicola County. Um, but the case, the the county attorney case transfers, I didn't have as much to do with that. They would do that a little bit differently. So you did that for about six, five, six years, and then you moved into mental health case management. First, how did you even find out about that? And second, why how is it different than your ongoing case management? Um, I should say we were part of the same unit at the time that I, um, it was a lateral move at the time that I moved from children, child protection to mental health. It was a lateral move. We were part of the same unit that has since changed. Um, but there was a tremendous amount of overlap. In fact, sometimes there was dual case management. So you would get a family who's, you know, struggling, the parents are struggling, whatever it might be. Um, and then the child needs services. So with the children's mental health, it was you're still working with the whole family. You're still working with the whole system. You're still working with truancy officers, um, you know, probation, whatever it might be, but your identified client is the child. Um, when you're working in child protection, your identified client was the primary parent who it defaulted, good or bad, wrong or right, to the mother. Okay. Um, but that was kind of your identified client. Um, the children's mental health typically was older kids. Um because they have to have a mental health diagnosis, which now they are doing some actually like prenatal diagnostic stuff or very, very early childhood diagnostic stuff. They weren't doing as much of that. Um, when I was 
in that field. Um, but you're more, your targeted person is kind of the child. And I ended up with in child protection, somehow getting a whole caseload of teenage girls. And then I just kind of kept having the teenage girls. And actually it was almost, I followed my caseload because sometimes we would get things kind of figured out at home, but that child would still be struggling. And so I kind of jumped into, um, the mental health case management role. It's Mm -hmm. less, um, crisis based sort of, or the crises crises are different sort of, um, it's really the same work, just a different title. Um, and like I said, you know, with child protection, unfortunately, sometimes kids get to a certain age where the parent, the situation has to be pretty dire for child protection to get involved just because a teenager can walk and talk and think and take care of themselves to some degree, but the family situation might still be not what society deems as appropriate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we would kind of get those services in on the mental health side. Um, Still a lot of collaborating, still a lot of just picking and choosing services to get these kids. My coworker and I did start um, a girls group where we did art and yoga curriculum with girls that were on our caseloads or on other people's caseloads. Uh It was highly, highly successful. It was very, very rewarding. It was also very exhausting, Um, but I kind of got stuck not stuck. I had the privilege of, of kind of getting pigeonholed into the teenage girls. So you kind so you saw your clients, um, actually increase in age. So when you were doing your ongoing case management, they were probably a little bit younger. And then when you went to mental health, it was the older, the into the teenage years type of thing. Yeah, that's very roughly saying it. Mm -hmm. Um, the whole focus is just different. And with, um, children's men with child protection, it's you're in court a lot. Um, it gets a little more um, litigious. Is that the word? There's yep. a little more litigation going on. It's very court oriented. Um, and so it felt a little more standardized to me. And the, the courts, I don't want to use the word micromanaging, um, but mental health, you had a little bit more leeway in terms of just really connecting with the, the kids. And to be honest, there was two, I could tell you exactly the cases, child protection cases that really burnt me out. Oh. And I wasn't, I wasn't going to, it wasn't going to be a good place for me. So before we get in, well, let's do that. Let's let's go into the challenges. So you know yep. you have two cases for sure that burned you up, but what were the challenges of working in child protection? And you can use either role or both roles together. What were some of the challenges? The challenges were really the barriers in the system. Um, also, obviously, um, well, there's like micro level challenges and macro level challenges. Some of the micro level challenges were just not having services available in Southern Minnesota for some mm-hmm. of the needs that kids had. Um, we were lacking foster parents. We have no public transportation here. Um, we don't have any behavioral health um, overnight psychiatric beds for juveniles in Blue Earth County. So we were um, having to take get kids help um, very far away. Um, I think probably some societal changes made things difficult. Um, I hate to sound my age, but cell phones somehow really complicated working with families. Um, mm-hmm. But it was really the lack of services, I think, that um, that was the biggest challenge. The other challenge would probably be, um, as time has sort of gone on, the state, rightfully so, and, and with good faith, I think, behind it has just really made um, the statutes 
um, and a lot of the paperwork stuff, very, very strict. And so it seems sometimes like you're there pushing more papers than you are out kind of doing the work. The work also, when I started in child protection, the case manager was responsible for supervising visitations if the children were out of the home. Um, we did the bulk of the transportation for visits back and forth in the home. Um, we oftentimes took the, the kid or the parents, the family um, to therapy, um, really worked collaboratively with foster care parents. And a lot of that has changed because there's been more volume of business. Right. And again, the changes in politics, the changes in all of that stuff. Um, now there's kind of, it's very piecemeal. So there's one person who organizes visitation supervisors, and there's one person who organizes, you know, transportation and stuff. So it was getting a little, um, a little, I don't know, bifurcated, I guess, between service provision and service like referral. Well, and that's really interesting because when I was working up in Minneapolis as a patrol officer, I mean, I didn't know a lot of what child protection op, um, workers did. I knew that I would go be called to put a place, uh, place a hold on a child. Yep. I knew I would be called to take them to St. Joe's. We had a large facility in Minneapolis that we could yep. take children to that were in danger. But we also ran into some of the same issues, not having enough beds for, at St. Joe's, not having emergency behavioral health um, areas where we could take juveniles, because even if you took them to children's, they didn't always have a spot for that. Mm -hmm. But when I started working in crimes against children, that's where I really realized what child protection was doing. Because, you know, we only saw the enforcement side, right? Sure. Going to the house, we got to remove the child, we need the police there to do that, or we've generated a report, and we have an investigation. And it just amazes me how connected child protection workers are to all the services. Um, but I can see we're not having that available can get so frustrating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And law enforcement, I mean, law enforcement, and to some degree, judges and even doctors, um, you know, a lot of times I don't want to say they have limited information, um, but they might have limited information. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, generally when people are any people are working with police officers, it's a crisis, you know. And when a child's safety is, is um, you know, when it's presenting right now, it's particularly egregious or, um, you know, very, very unsafe, then, you know, the police have to make that decision and, and the police do their part, but then, you know, you get kind of handed off the situation and then you're scrambling for some of those services. Um, the police, you know, we, there was a range of police officers that I worked with, um, just like any population, there's a range of personalities and different, um, you know, styles of things. Um, but my experience was that, you know, the police usually had had, I shouldn't say usually, probably 50% of the time had had contact with these families are in these neighborhoods before I did or before human services did. Right. Um, and oftentimes, you know, they'd pick toddlers right up out of their bed and play with them and talk to them and, you know, talk to the parents and be very compassionate mm -hmm. um, and things. And we really very rarely had the police like swoop in and say, we're putting all these kids on a hold. My experience was um, police officers tried very hard, even at that crisis moment in Blue Earth County, in my, um, in my experience, they were calling friends, they were calling family, they were calling ex-husbands, ex, you know, grandmas, grandpas, trying to reduce the trauma for the kid and the trauma for the parents, you know, I mean, it could be, child protection could be something as simple as, 
um, a parent having a couple too many drinks and driving home drunk and getting pulled over with the child in the back of their seat, you know, mm-hmm. as a police officer going to, you know, come in and make that decision or that, yeah, that decision to drive, are they going to, you know, make that worse and stuff? My experience was they did the very best they could to call and get that child placed somewhere. We would get a report. We would go in, talk to the parents, say, Hey, you know, you're going to have to do a few, you know, maybe a few sessions, do a chemical dependency assessment or whatever, but we're not going to blow up you know, we're not going to, the sky is not falling because you had a bad day and drink. And, right. you know, and, and that so. was my experience too, as many times it will, it, you do your best as a law enforcement officer, but then I knew that the child protection workers would also go in and kind of try to find the best solution to make sure everybody was safe, but not like destroy, destroy yes. the family type of thing. So, yes. And it is, um, you know, you're working with, uh, the part of my job that I liked the most was working with so many different, um, families. I mean, Child protection, children's mental health, any case management from the county. I think people's perception is that these are people that are in poverty or people that are lower functioning in some or differently functioning in some way in society. And that's not all the case. Um, Certainly socioeconomic status has something. I mean, if you don't have resources, it's hard to provide for your family. So there is maybe an underlying level, but we dealt with in both child protection and in children's mental health, very, very affluent families in the Mankato area um, that, you know, they knew their trade and I knew my trade. Right. And, you know, it, it's different, you know, um, and children, um, you know, sometimes the, the situations in the family are beyond their control. You mm-hmm. know, children who are born with um, differently abled, with different needs, whatever it is. Um, so it's not an economics thing. Um, it is not a there's, there's no way to say what is your typical client because right. there it literally there isn't one. My typical mental health client was someone who wanted help and my typical children child protection client or yeah client was someone who needed help. And so the voluntary part of the child children's mental health thing um, made me feel better about the work I was doing also because I didn't feel like I was just out doing something that some judge decided should be done. I was making decisions with the family. Well, that's a great way to look at it. So, so um, I'm going to ask kind of a two-part question. What were some challenges working with teenagers, especially girls, compared to younger ones? And then how much was addiction related? Um, you know, working with teenage girls, um, if you've been a teenage girl, you recognize that that's not a, the best part of life for most teenage girls. So it was a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of, I was very, very honest with the girls that I worked with. And I had teenage boys too. And and I'm not going to say that boys and girls aren't different. And I'm not going to say that boys and girls are different. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's different. Um, what I found with the, specifically the teenage girls that I worked with is that they had been promised a lot of things that weren't followed through on because of inability or because of bad parenting or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, They were typically um, desperate for attention, um, desperate to be seen, desperate to be heard, desperate to be acknowledged. Um, Many of them were extremely resilient. um, And I connected very well with a lot of them. I think because I would always say, and it was kind of always my leading up thing, like you might not like what I'm going to say, but I'm not going to lie. I just, I can't. I told, because they're teenagers, they're not, you know, mm-hmm. they understand. I didn't lie to four-year-olds or two-month-olds either, but 
they, you know, they know what their situation is. Oftentimes they're much smarter than I was and knew much, much more about their situation than I was ever going to know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I tried to really gain that rapport. I tried very hard to, um, respect their identity. I always tried so hard to remember their names, even if I was in a school or something or saw them out in the community. Cause I just think it's important that, you know, people kind of just don't have that attention. Teachers are stressed. Parents are stressed, you know, everybody's kind of stressed. And so I found it very important to hone in on what each kid was good at or liked or was interested in. Um, did I answer the question? I forgot the you question. Did. You did. <laughs> I always tell people, I mean, I worked in North Minneapolis for 12 years on patrol. I mean, the busiest area in the state, but I also coached high school. I coached girls basketball, everything from fourth grade until through high school. And I used to tell people no bad, no matter how bad my night was at work, I could go to practice with them and realize the world's going to be okay. Because Mm -hmm. if you ever try to deal with 10, 10 year olds fighting over something, it's just I mean, I loved my girls, but yes, you're right. It can be challenging. I coached a t-ball team one time and it was the same thing. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't, they, I, they were like three and four. I mean, like it was the T not even the pitching. Um, and they were some of the kids that we worked with at the Y, um, who were in lower income families and stuff. And so we kind of had this ragamuffin and it, it, you know, it should have been a movie really. (laughs) Or a sitcom or something, because they were just the darn cutest things. But I would just be like, oh, you guys pay attention. So but that was what I thought. That was my opinion about the, the girls is that they needed um, somebody that they could rely on and somebody that was going to be safe. There's a lot of people out there that exploit people who put themselves in exploitable situations. Yeah. Um, and so I was trying to help them make some good decisions. Good. So before I kind of get into rewards, what did you do for self-care? And do you think that there was anything you could have done more to kind of try to avoid the burnout that you ended up feeling? Um, you know, for self-care at the time, what was the, the rest of it? I said, what were you doing for self-care at the time? Because this is a really demanding position. And then yeah. is there any other things you think you wish you would have done that may have mitigated some of the burnout? Um, what I did at the time... Um, I did a lot of yoga. It's hard to believe now, but um, I did a lot of yoga. In fact, um, became a yoga yoga teacher, and my friend and I both became yoga teachers so that we could teach yoga to the the girls in child protection. I should have, um, I should have probably um, let some of. I was probably hard on myself when when families wouldn't get things together like the court or like myself wanted them to. I probably took that harder than I needed to. I had one specific case where the mom was dealing with a lifetime of dependency issues to get back to your, how often is addiction a thing? She was a young mom. She came from a family that had huge chemical use issues. I mean, generations of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, she ended up hurt. She was doing just so well. And her son, anyway, she got violated and sent back to prison and she didn't show an emotion. And her son was just ruined. And I was crying. Her mom was crying. Her dad was crying. Her brother, you know, and she was just so kind of unable to even process it. So I think I probably just am a little too empathetic or too something. My parents would confirm that. Um, (laughs) But um, so that's what I did to cope. I also kept active up here um, on campus. I was an adjunct professor teacher mm-hmm. for from 2004 until I came here full time, actually. Um, and I had a lot of hobbies, did a lot of exercising. I love to cook, love to read. Um, I also had a great team of supervisors who 
could see and could help you identify, hey, you know, take the afternoon off or, you know, let's talk this through or whatever. Um, children's mental health, I got burned out because I, um, because of the chronic situation in a few just cases, there just was, um, I never am a person who doesn't have hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I have hope for things to the chagrin of many of my people close to me. I'm eternally optimistic. Um, and some of the situations and the challenges that were being presented and the complexity of the chronicity of the challenges, um, I just felt like I wasn't going to be as, I felt like I kind of peaked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I was getting, I mean, I, I wasn't burnt out to the point where like I had to quit. I mean, mm-hmm. I made a very, very, um, conscientious decision, um, and, you know, and it, and it was a hard decision, quite frankly. And it was one that I, even now, sometimes I go back and I think, oh, I just miss the work. You know, I miss um, the excitement of it. I miss the, you know, the interaction. Um, I miss the kids. I miss the families. I miss the high points. I miss the successes. Um, but I believe that sometimes you don't have to do everything forever. <laughs> like oh. you can be effective um, differently. Well, you kind of leading me right into the last thing I wanted to ask about is what are some of the rewards and why should someone get into child protection, especially if they're one of our students? Why should they look at maybe going into that field? So what are the rewards of it? Well, um, the rewards are, I mean, in a really basic level, um, you know, job wise, it's a very secure job. Um, It's a government job. So you have a pension, all those things that you don't think about as a student, but you should think about immediately after being a student, healthcare, vacation time. Um, the pay is not bad. Um, it's rewarding because you see, so child protection is rewarding because um, sometimes you see people get better and mm-hmm. um, get on track. And sometimes you see families that really shouldn't be a family for mm-hmm. whatever reason. And um no amount of cheerleading or service provision or anything is going to keep those kids safe. And you see them um, get put in a different environment, you know, get the help that they need and you see the kids succeed. And there's, I mean, of course, that's why people do it. Um, You know, that's the end all, you know, that's the end game for anything. I'm sure policing is much the same. You know, you want to try to pull somebody out of a bad situation and hope they end up in a better situation. Um, So that part is rewarding. The camaraderie of working, the relationships um, is, I mean, I'm still, those are still some of my best friends. Um, I think it's unique to the criminal justice, human services, um, medical kind of fields that you mm-hmm. really form those bonds with your coworkers. Um, cause you rely on them, you know, you rely on them in the good times, you rely on them in the bad times, you rely on them for straight up safety. Um, so the relationships that I made that way professionally and stuff were outstanding. I think it made me a better person. Mm-hmm. I'm from Mankato. So knowing a little bit about Mankato that I didn't know about before my job was, I think made me a better person. Um, you know, rewards of doing children's mental health. I mean, it, it's all in the relationships. It, that's all I would ever say is, um, you know, and there's kids that I still have contact with, um, that'll call and, you know, had a baby or they'll call and say, oh, I graduated high school or I got a job or there's one girl who I run into now in my current role 
who has a role somewhere in the community um, that, you know, was on my caseload that's just doing phenomenal. And, you know, it's like, oh, hey, <laughs> that's so cool. Like I call you now, you know, professional to professional. Um, and so seeing, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the reason why you should get into it. Um, it's really the the best way to be, well, the best way to be effective, I think would probably be, um, you know, to be a foster care provider or something like that. But that's, and that's just above and beyond because you don't make good money there. You don't have a lot of supports. You don't have a great team of coworkers, but the best way to really affect some change at that micro level and probably a societal level is to just really get in there and do the work and understand the social problems. Um, you probably could guess that one of my things when I worked at the County was recruiting foster care parents. Right. Um, I didn't like putting kids in families that weren't like theirs. Mm-hmm. I think take, it was like putting a square peg in a circle hole. I hated it. It didn't feel good for anybody. So my thing was always finding appropriate, um, hopefully appropriate and like-minded providers. You know, I don't want to take a kid who, you know, maybe is accustomed to going to church and put them in a family that doesn't go to church or a kid whose, you know, family really thinks that education is important and put them in a family where education isn't important. Um, so that's what I think that was kind of my um, soapbox mm-hmm. is finding those variety of service providers. Um, I also found it very rewarding to work with immigrant and refugee families, um, particularly when there was a lot of people coming in from some African countries, um, just because the cultural shift is so tremendous. Um, and it is not better. America is not better than Africa. Nobody could ever say that cultures are not different or not cultures are not better or, but they're so tremendously different. Mm -hmm. And it was just wonderful to watch people, um, kind of make their way and, and start their families here and feel safe and, um, you know, kind of integrate into society. So those were my two things. Mm -hmm. Um, those were my two, the teenage girls, the foster care parents, and then the the immigrant and refugee families. I think it's just wonderful to help rather than being punitive, you know, like I didn't want to go in there and tell everybody, oh, this is what you're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, let's go in and be strength-based about it. And again, eternally optimistic. Well, and you brought up a really interesting point that, I mean, child protection really is in the midst of three different systems, right? You've got the criminal justice system, you've got human services and the medical system, and actually you should add school in there too, right? You kind of sit as a hub in between all of those, which is very unique in the structures that we have in the United States. So, yeah, well, and it really is those pillars of society. I mean, you have like the government, you know, who kind of sets the things and then, you know, public safety who you know, maintain some social order to some mm-hmm. degree, hopefully, you know, and then the education system and then just overall culture, you know, what's acceptable here in Mankato may or may not be acceptable even, you know, in a town 20 minutes away or, you know, mm-hmm. in the metro area. They had, you know, I worked with um, social services, police and everything in the metro area too. And, you know, some of the demands are different. Some of the needs are different. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing is that you brought up Oh, I just lost my train of thought, but you actually brought, oh, um, the fact is that even though you do a lot of paperwork, you weren't sitting behind a desk eight hours a day. Oh, you had no. to go out and be in the community and be with the families and stuff. So when people talk about, oh, I don't want to just sit behind a desk all the time, you're not, you got a lot no. of things to do. Yeah. No, and you're in people's homes, you know, I mean, you're in people's homes, you're kind of connected with their family. Um, It's a lot like probation. It's a lot like being, you know, with community policing, it's knowing the community, knowing the services that are in 
an area, you know, um, particularly with refugee and immigrant families, knowing where they can get groceries, knowing where they can attend worship services, knowing, um, you know, where to find interpreters. And, you know, you're, you become, you know, for many families, for some of them, of course, you go in, you, you know, make a few recommendations and you walk back out. But for many of them, at least for me, you know, you became part of their, their social circle, mm-hmm. um, which was great. That's the part that I liked. You know, I learned from them. Hopefully they learned something from me. Um, but not all cultures view police and social services the same way. Um, not all people have a good relationship or have had good experiences with police and social services. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know, probably anybody listening to this podcast knows the cycle of, you know, violence and the cycle of lifestyles and how important, you know, socialization and all those things are. So um, that was the part that was kind of cool. I never felt like I was better than anybody that I worked with. I just felt like I had a different perspective and probably more um, resources than they had. Everybody has bad days. Everybody has things they could have done differently or better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for taking some time to kind of open up a little bit of a look into child protection in that world and for telling us about your experiences. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk CJ podcast. If you have suggestions for future episode topics, interviews, or other areas to cover, please email us at criminaljustice at mnsu.edu or visit our website. Join us next time for a new episode and thank you for listening.